this is the best day of the year, especially if you're a Christian, because today we're celebrating the most important event in human history. Now, some of you might push back and go Christmas, but see, the thing is, Christmas is about Jesus being born, and I accomplished that, okay, and so did you. Uh, Today is the best day of the year because we're celebrating the most amazing, amazing event that is the centerpiece and the foundation of all that we believe as Christians. Now, if you're here because someone promised you lunch, you've got family lunch afterwards, so, you know, or you're trying to get that family member off your back for like another year because they're always trying to get you to go to church, uh, you're here under duress, it's okay. Um, but the fact is, you're a skeptic. Well, of course you're a skeptic. I mean, seriously, we're talking about somebody rising from the dead. You should be skeptical. But here's what I want you to know about those of us who are Christians, though Christian has just become such a a loaded term, which is one of the reasons why I prefer Jesus follower or even disciple of Jesus. Christianity, unlike any other religion, is not based on the teachings of a person. The thing that holds Christianity together is not the teachings of Jesus. It's the event, the resurrection. If you pull the resurrection out of Christianity, Christianity just completely deflates. We might as well just shut down as a church and just go to the lake next week or just sleep in. If all we had were the teachings of Jesus, I don't think that the teachings of Jesus, I don't think it would have made it out of the first century. If all we had were his claims, I don't think we would have ever heard of Jesus after he died. I mean, he went around equating himself with God. I mean, seriously, if you ever met someone who is equating themselves with God, I mean, is that somebody that you'd go, oh, we need to bring all the friends and family to see this person? No. If you met somebody who claimed to be God, you'd think they were crazy. You would not take them seriously. And you need to know that Jesus wasn't the first person to claim to be the Messiah. There were dozens of people who came along during that time to claim to be the Messiah. And so for someone to show up and say, I'm the Messiah, that's not new news. And he claimed to be able to forgive sin. I mean, if your husband came up, uh, you know, your husband and you came up to me after service, and he goes, hey, I need to talk to you. Uh, Before church, like, I had this knockdown, drag-out fight with my wife in the car. And, you know, I said some things I can't believe I said. The kids heard it. I used a lot of profanity. I mean, it was just terrible. If I put my hand on your shoulder and looked you in the eye and said, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. Like, well, that's meaningless. Like, how can you forgive me for something that I did to someone else? So Jesus went around forgiving sins, and the religious leaders did exactly what you and I would do. They responded, wait a minute. You can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. I think Jesus went, just, I'm telling you, if all we had were the claims of Jesus, we would have never heard of Jesus. And to make it worse, he taught stuff that made no sense. He, he taught love your enemy. Oh, I want to hear more than that. Like, that answers all my problems and questions. Like, I just don't love my enemies enough. And, 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 and pray for those who persecute you. Like, what kind of message is that? I don't even remember to pray for all the people I love consistently enough. I'm not going to pray for people who are bad to me, unless it's to pray that they get a tax audit or that their brakes go out at 100 miles an hour. I mean, think about it. The people he was, was teaching, they were Jewish people. They knew their enemies intimately. Rome had its heel right on the neck of the Jewish people. They knew their enemies. Their enemies had armor and swords, and they had set up shop in their hometowns, and they were taxing them to death. And Jesus came along and said, oh, no, 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 don't rebel against them. Love them. Pray for them. Who's going to listen to that? Nobody. 
And then, and then he said something insane. He said, forgive everyone, every single time. Like, whoa, wait a minute, every, every time? What if it keeps going on and on? Jesus said, yeah, you just, you just forgive every single time. And, and if somebody asks something of you, they need something from you, just, just give them, give. So let me get this straight. I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, love the people that persecute me, forgive everyone every time anything's done to me, and, and give to the people who ask to borrow from me. Yeah. Oh, well, can I follow you? I mean, that sounds like a great life. I won't have anything. I won't have any friends. I'm telling you, his teachings and claims are so marginal and fringe and strange. Like, why in the world is anyone gathered in his name? Why in the world have we even heard of him? And then to make things more confusing, unlike every other religious movement, when Jesus died, his closest guys did not gather together and have a big meeting and say, let's spread his teachings everywhere. See, when Muhammad died, he was a military, religious, and political leader, and there, were tons, there was tons of momentum. And when he died, his followers picked it up, and they carried it throughout the region and then throughout the world into the next generation. But when Jesus died, there was no momentum. I mean, you can read the story for yourself. It was slowing down. People were leaving by the dozens. And then on the night that he was arrested, do you know what his brave followers did? By their own admission, this isn't somebody writing about them. Matthew writes that on the night Jesus was arrested, we ran. I got to put it in there because it's true, because that's what we did. We, we followed Jesus, but at the moment that he got into trouble, we didn't even wait for him to die. We ran. And then Peter got intimidated by a middle school age girl who said, hey, you're one of his followers. I've never heard of literally the blankety blank guy. Jesus wasn't even dead yet. And they had abandoned him and abandoned the cause. And then he was killed. And again, by their own admission, even those that were closest to Jesus, even though he told them a hundred times, they were not expecting a resurrection. Because if they had, they would have all gathered outside his tomb on Sunday morning with giant foam fingers. And as the sun was coming up, started shouting the countdown like the ball on New Year's Eve going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. But they didn't. Why? Because he was publicly executed. He was dead and entombed, and they expected him to do what dead people do. Stay dead. It was over. And again, in writing their own story of what happened, by their own admission, they just went home. Back to their lives. We were wrong about him. I'm just telling you, if you're a skeptic and you think that somehow Christianity is a made-up religion, I dare you to read or reread the Gospels. Because if you're trying to make up a religion, if you're trying to make up a religious movement, you would never have written the things that they written, had written. But then, these same cowardly followers, suddenly they aren't hiding. They are suddenly, almost overnight, out publicly, in the streets, identifying with Jesus, which does not make sense. Because if you can kill the leader, you can kill the followers, no problem. And they know this, but they're insisting, we saw him die, we saw him buried, and three days later, we had breakfast with him on the beach, we have seen him, he is alive, he is alive, and it is the resurrection that catapulted the name of Jesus out of the first century, not what he taught, not what he claimed, because his claims are the claims of a madman. We saw him die, we saw him buried, his resurrection is the primary point of every message that his followers taught. In Acts chapter 3, 
the author and physician Luke, he gives us a great account, Acts, A-C-T-S. It's written by a guy named Luke. He was a physician. He followed Peter and Paul all around and wrote down what happened. He hung out with eyewitnesses. He was a doctor. He took details very seriously. And he was there with eyewitnesses in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And this isn't like years later. This is like two and a half months later. Two and a half months after the resurrection. And Peter and John were kind of rock stars at this point because they, everybody knew they had been with Jesus day in and day out for all these years. And, and they were there. And, and they're going around talking about, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. And people are coming to hear them teach. And all these people, they're transitioning from Judaism to Christianity. And Luke tells us that Peter and John, uh, one day they're going to the temple to pray about three in the afternoon. And again, this is in the city where Jesus was tried and crucified a little over two months before. They are within eyeshot of Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. And they're there in the city, and they're in the temple to pray, because they're Jews who still believe in the Old Testament, but they also believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And on their way to the temple, they see a man lying there who's been lame from birth. He's 40 years old. And he says to them, would you please give me some money? He's, he's a beggar. And they reply, we have no silver, we have no gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ... Stand up and walk. And this guy stands up and he walks. He's healed. And then Peter and John go into the temple. So where do you think he goes? Into the temple. And all these people have been sitting, seeing him sitting there for years and years and years. They're going, what is happening? And he's clinging to Peter and John going, they did it. They did it. And now all of a sudden people gather around Peter and John. And they go, how did this happen? And Peter takes this opportunity to preach a little sermon there in the temple area. And the point of his sermon is not what Jesus taught. The point of his sermon is not what Jesus claimed. The point of his sermon is the resurrection. And here's why this is so significant. Because again, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus just about three months after the event in the city where it happened. This would have been the easiest thing in the world to disprove. And remember, this is the guy who, the night Jesus was arrested, he ran away, he denied he even knew Jesus, he was a coward, but now all of a sudden, he's bold, and he confronts the very people who were there. He says, you disown the holy and righteous one, and you asked that a murderer, talking about Barabbas, that you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he says this, and we... We heard about it. We talked to a guy whose cousin was there. I talked to this lady who had a friend, and she had a friend. She was going by and on a horse, and, and, and she heard this commotion. No, we, talking about he and John, we are witnesses of this. Now, this causes a huge stir, and this is where the story picks up momentum in chapter 4. Peter and John, they finish their sermon, and they're not preaching about Jesus as a good teacher. They're not preaching about Jesus as a good guy. Jesus, you know, had wonderful sayings. No, they're talking about the event. He died and he rose. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, these were the religious leaders, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, some of these religious leaders were Sadducees. They didn't believe that anyone ever rose from the dead. That is why they were sad, you see. Dad joke alert. Uh, they, 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 they believe that when you die, that's it. They just believe that God, they believed in God, but they were simply here for God's pleasure, and that when you die, that God's just done with you. And Peter and John are going, not only do we believe in resurrection, we have seen one. 
Well, they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. And, and now this is significant. And again, if you're someone that struggles to believe in Christianity, here's an interesting thing to consider. Every single time these guys talked about resurrection, they got arrested and put in jail. They got whipped, beaten, or flogged. Sometimes they got dragged out and had rocks thrown at their bodies until they were near dead or dead from internal injuries. Now, in other words, if every time they talked about resurrection, they got invited onto another talk show, write another book, get interviewed by Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, Joe Rogan, if every time they talked about the resurrection, they got more popular and wealthier, well, of course we'd have reason to suspect. But that's not what happened. Every time they opened their mouths about the resurrection, something bad happened to them. Now, I don't know how you process your life, but generally when really bad things happen to me after I do something, I quit doing it. If something bad happens to you every time you do something, at some point you go, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, I only jumped off our roof with an umbrella once. I only touched an electric fence once. Like, I only poked a yellow jacket's nest once, bright kid, right? I only borrowed my older cousin's dirt bike without permission once. I mean, it's just pretty simple. And the verse goes on, verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. Now notice they didn't commit to anything or surrender to something. They didn't say, let's just adopt Jesus' teachings. What did they believe? Because the evidence was so compelling, they believed the story of the resurrection. So the number of men who believed, grew to about 5,000. So that's 5,000 men and their families that embraced this teaching about the resurrection a few hundred yards. I've been there from both the execution and the event that followed three days later, his resurrection. Now, why would they be so gullible as to believe that somebody came back from the dead? Verse 5, the The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. Also, Caiaphas, who was a major player in the crucifixion of Jesus. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? And they're talking about the healing of this lame guy. How did you pull this off? And then Peter, we're told, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, he's like, okay, let's get this straight. You're calling us on the carpet asking us how a great act of kindness happened. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name, and they hated this part. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, and I think he pointed at Caiaphas, whom you killed, whom you killed, whom you crucified, but whom God, which puts you at odds with God, Caiaphas, in case you're not paying attention, is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I'm telling you, the driving force of every message, every single time, right after his execution and his burial, was not warm, fuzzy Jesus, or his teachings, or his claims, it was the event that God had raised him from the dead. In fact, Peter quotes from the Old Testament when he says that he is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And then he says this verse that bothers some of us. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, which is why I keep bringing it up. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which 
We must be saved. And that seems so narrow, and we don't like it. But again, the source is what gives it credibility. When they, the Pharisees and religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, like isn't, the same, isn't this the same guy who ran off and denied even knew Jesus? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished because normally guys in their position would be begging for their lives. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, Exhibit A, there was nothing they could say. Again, why were they astonished? Because all of Jerusalem had seen the brutal, brutal beating and torture and crucifixion of the ringleader, Jesus. And if they did this to the ringleader, then these men have to know that they are putting themselves up for torture and execution. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. Do you know why everybody knew? Because this guy had been sitting there for 20 or 30 years, like Joe the beggar, like the mascot of the temple. And he's walking around now, and everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. In other words, if you want to talk about prayer, fine. If you want to talk about God, fine. But don't talk about the J word. It's causing too much of a disturbance. Then they called them in again, and they commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And again, I love this. Peter the coward. He looks these men in the eye, the men that could have them killed, and says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking, and we will not stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. These guys are not trying to start a religion or a religious philosophy or a religious system. They weren't simply exporting the teachings of Jesus. They laid their life on the line for what they had seen and what they had heard. People sacrifice all the time for a belief system. This is different. They all gave their lives for what they saw. The two of them, ultimately the 10 of them, the 12 of them, and ultimately hundreds. Now listen to how this passage ends. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. There was a party outside for Joe walking around for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. What happens next? We skip to verse 33. Here's how they responded. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. You see, here's the dilemma. Why, as a 21st century person who's got an iPhone or a superior Android device, three computers, cars, so much advancements in technology and science and medicine, why in the world that we can believe, why in the world can I believe that 2,000 years ago a guy rose from the dead after three days? I'm telling you, it's because the evidence is so strong. His teachings wouldn't have done it because they made no sense. His claims would have caused people to write him off as a madman. So why are we celebrating? Why with confidence can those of us name the name of Jesus? Why can we do that in confidence? Why can we celebrate today? Why is today the best day of all? 
It's because this is the day that we celebrate the event that validated all those crazy claims and all that crazy teaching that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Which means that we can believe that all he had, believe in all that he had to say about God, about life, about relationships, about money, about sacrificial love, about forgiveness. And he said, I've come that you might have the one thing that you need the most. Peace with God and peace with one another. John summarized Jesus in saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him puts the weight of their life in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the event validates it and confirms that it's true. The event confirms that I can and should actually love people who are nothing like me, forgive people who wrong me, and give to people without fear because I'm following a resurrected Savior. Because if we follow someone who death can't even take out, what do we have to fear? That's why we can celebrate with confidence. And there are authors and people and individuals who say the resurrection is a lie, it's a legend, it's a fable, and it just made its way into the Bible. But the only way for that to have happened is for uh, generations to have died off and for enough time to pass for the story to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But the problem is that when these texts were written, there were eyewitnesses everywhere. And then... In secular history, not even in the Bible, but about 15 years after the resurrection, there were multiple churches in Rome, in Rome, in Italy, 1,800 miles away. Even if you go by boat along the coast, it still takes forever. But within 15 years, Christianity had spread from this little hub to where Roman people who didn't even like Jews embraced this new cult, this superstition Christianity. And then between 61 and 64 AD, just about 30 years after the event, when Nero was emperor, remember what he did? He burned Rome. Who did he blame it on? The Christians. Why? How could he have done that? Because just 30 years after the resurrection, there were so many Christians in Rome, they were a recognizable entity One history book says that there were between 30,000 and 50,000 Christians, not in Jerusalem or Judea or Egypt within walking distance, 50,000 non-Jewish Christians in Rome. This is secular history. This wasn't a legend that popped up over hundreds of years. So don't miss this. In the lifetime of Peter and Paul, tens of thousands of Roman citizens swore allegiance to Jesus, a risen Jewish carpenter. And they were put to death because of their belief. Nero put animal skins on them and fed them to dogs. Nero staked them up and poured oil over them to be used as torches to light his gardens. And these men were put to death. And all they had to do was swear allegiance to Nero as their king. But instead, they would say, no, Jesus. Like, Jesus, what? Yeah, about 30 years ago, he walked into Palestine, died on a cross for my sins, rose from the dead. I mean, you can ask Peter, he's over there in one of your jails. You can ask Paul, he's over there in one of your jails. This isn't hundreds of years later. This isn't enough time for fable or myth or legend to grow. Eyewitnesses were still walking around. Thousands and thousands of people in Rome, Samaria, Judea, Palestine went to their death, not because they embraced a teaching or a philosophy or a prophet, but because they believed 
in the event that a man died publicly and rose publicly and went to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's why this is the best day ever. Because this is the day that we celebrate the event that validates everything Jesus claimed and everything he ever said was true. That God loves us. That God is for us. That we can trust that he is who he says he is and he will do what he has promised to do. And now this is why, and this is so huge, and and we'll close with this. This is why becoming a Christian is not like becoming anything else. Every other religion, you simply bow your knee and say, I believe in the prophet, whoever, or I, or I am committing my life to the teachings of fill in the blank. From this point on, I'm going to surrender to the habits or the values of, but do you know how you become a Christian? You become a Christian just like this group who heard Peter's sermon did. You become a Christian not by committing to or surrendering to. You become a Christian by trusting in by believing Jesus died for my sin. I believed he walked out of that tomb. So of course, I'm going to take seriously what he said. And I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. Not because I like it necessarily. Not because it makes sense. Not because it's great teaching. I believe it because of who said it. The man who claimed to be able to forgive sin and we laughed. The man who claimed to be on par with God and we laughed. The man who claimed... If you see me, you have seen the Father. And we went, I'm so sure. But then he predicted and pulled off his own resurrection. And when someone can do that, odds are we can trust everything else that they say they would do. And he would do it. And on that day, he walked out of the tomb. It punctuated that I can and should believe and trust in everything he taught. I can believe that he can forgive sin. He can forgive my sin. And I can believe to have seen him is to see the, have seen the Father. And I can believe that when he says, when you pray in secret, God sees that. He hears that. He hears your prayers. You become a Christian and are given hope in this life and the next by putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior because of the big event which makes this the best day of the year, a beautiful day. Not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what Jesus did. Because he laid down his life for you and me that we might have peace with God and with one another. And then he took up his own life. He walked out of that tomb. My Savior, your Savior, our Redeemer. That makes this a day to celebrate. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so grateful for those who had the courage to pay the ultimate price. And Father, for those who took the time to write down everything that they saw and heard so that we might know, I'm so grateful to be connected to generations over 2,000 years that a day like today, it connects us through all that history to that moment in time. God, I thank you so much that we're able to see the men and women who followed Jesus and know that they were just like us. They were scared. They were afraid. They struggled to believe. Even Thomas himself, in the very end, looking right at him, still struggled to believe because it's so extraordinary. Father, for, for those that have struggled, those who struggle with doubt and skepticism, of course we do. But I pray, Father, that you would just reveal yourself in unmistakable ways. And for those of us that we have, we said at some point in our life, we put our trust and our faith in you. 
I pray, Father, that today would just be a renewal of truly recognizing how much you love us and that you truly sent your son that we might have life that is truly life. And that we would calibrate tomorrow and the days and weeks and months to come on that truth. So thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son and your grace and your mercy. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.